this afternoon. Psalm 3. Just to give you a bit of background on the psalm, you'll notice so far Psalm 1 and 2 didn't have any uh, notes in the title. Psalm 3 does. Uh, in the original Hebrew, this was right in there with it. Verse numbers came later. Uh, so it precedes our verse numbering, but it was there uh, in the original. It says a Psalm of David. That was kind of the, what, how the psalm started with that title there. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So David is the author of Psalm 3, and with this psalm, we have the circumstances. We don't always get the circumstances uh, in the title of the psalm. Sometimes we can, you know, deduce the circumstances based on what the psalm says, but this one flat out tells us when it was written, and it was written when he fled, when David fled from Absalom, his son. Charles Spurgeon has a, a work called, uh, well, it just left me. But uh, ask me later, and I'll remember, <laughs> Treasury of David, <laughs> that where he comments on all of the Psalms. And he said, you'll remember the sad story of David's flight from his own palace when, in the dead of the night, he forded the brook Kidron and went with a few faithful followers to hide himself for a while from the fury of his rebellious son. Remember that David in this was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, too, fled. He, too, passed over the brook Kidron when his own people were in rebellion against him. And with a feeble band of followers, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He, too, drank of the brook by the way, and therefore doth he lift up the head. By very many expositors, this is entitled the morning hymn. Not sadness, but as in the time of day, the morning hymn. May we ever wake with holy confidence in our hearts and a song on our lips. Another author pointed out that this is the first time that we find the word psalm in the book of Psalms. A psalm of David is what it says. The Hebrew word for psalm is mizmer, and it means to pluck strings. This is also the first prayer in the Psalms, and it's the first time it is attributed to David in the book of Psalms. We learned last week that uh, Psalm 2 is attributed to David in the book of Acts, but this is the first time in the book of Psalms we find it attributed to David. All the Psalms in book one are attributed to David except 1, 10, and 33. So if you didn't know this already, the book of Psalms is broken into smaller books. Book one is Psalm 1 through 41, and all except three are attributed to David as their author. So let's read Psalm 3 together, and then we'll get into the study of it. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. 
There are three themes that we're going to draw out of Psalm 3 this afternoon. Three themes in Psalm 3. Notice, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, multiplied problems. Multiplied problems. David's problems were multiplying. He says many, many, many. There are multiplied problems. The first many is there are many adversaries. David has many adversaries. He says, many are they increased that have troubled me. They're increased that trouble me. He had no shortage of enemies. As a matter of fact, his son Absalom had basically turned the entire nation against him. And more so every single day, his adversaries were increasing. For the servant of God, enemies can rise up out of the woodwork. Not necessarily enemies of you personally, but of the God you serve. First Peter chapter 4, the apostle wrote, reminding the church, he said in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Sometimes adversaries just rise up out of the woodwork because of the God that you served. And it's not necessarily a strange thing for a Christian to find that there are adversaries. And David had multiplied problems and many adversaries round about him. There were also many antagonists, many antagonists. He said, many are they that rise up against me. These aren't just enemies. These are those that are setting themselves against him. Many antagonists, many are they that rise up against me. You ever feel antagonized in life? In the Peanuts comic strip, Linus is curled up in a chair reading a book while Lucy stands behind him in a, with a funny look on her face. Lucy then says, it's very strange how it happens just by looking at you. What happens, Linus asks. I can feel a criticism coming on. Antagonists are a part of life. Antagonists are a part of life. Nobody can please everybody. And a man who stands for anything will have enemies and antagonists. Nobody can please everybody, but if you're going to stand for something, you're going to have enemies. You're going to have critics and antagonists and those that rise up against you. David had many adversaries, many antagonists, and then beyond that, he had many accusers. He had many accusers. He says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Many said of David in that day when his own son usurped him, not even God's going to help David this time. It's hopeless for David. Psalm 71 verse 10 says, For mine enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. Likewise, in this psalm, there were those that said of David, even God has abandoned David. There's no help for him there. God has forsaken him. They accused him. 
He had multiple accusers. There were many that were speaking out against him. Many that were critical of him. And many that were maligning his reputation. There's a story told of a prosecuting attorney in a very small town courthouse. And he called his first witness, which was an elderly woman, to the stand. He approached her and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she said, why, yes, I know you. I've known you since you were a young boy, Mr. Williams. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment. You lie. You cheat. You manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a rising big shot, but you haven't got the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. I know you well. The lawyer was, of course, stunned, not knowing what else to do. He pointed across the room and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she replied, of course. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. I used to babysit him, and he, too, has been a real disappointment. He's lazy bigoted, has a drinking problem, can't build any normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At that point, the judge wrapped the gavel to silence the courtroom and called both lawyers to the bench. In a very quiet and menacing voice, he said, if either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you both in contempt. David had many accusers. There was a nation full of people that were not hesitant to say terrible things about him. And there are those that attack with words. But as Christians, we ought to expect such treatment from the world. 1 John 3.13 says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You know, we spend an awful lot of time as a church in America, trying to make the world like us. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. John 15, Jesus said, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It's not easy to rejoice when people say all manner of evil against you falsely. But Jesus said, not only should you expect it as one of my followers, you should rejoice. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. David had multiplied problems in his life. He had many adversaries, many antagonists. He had many, uh, many people that were criticizing and accusing him. But also we see in verses 3 through 6, the marvelous provision there. He says in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. My glory and the lifter up of mine head, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept, I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me, 
round about. The marvelous provision. Notice, first of all, David mentions the defense that the Lord provides him. The defense. He says, you, Lord, are a shield or a buckler for me. It was the small shield that you would ward off attacks with. You're a shield for me. Genesis 15, the word of the Lord comes to Abram. And I love the promise that God makes to Abram. He says, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. David said, God, you are my defense. That's a pretty good defense. 2 Samuel 22, 2 Samuel 22, verses 2 through 4, David writes and says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. God was David's defense. He was his rock, his fortress, his shield, his tower, his refuge. David looked to the Lord for his defense. Psalm 61, verse 3, he writes, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I love the missionary David Livingston. He was a pioneer missionary. In other words, there were no roads. He cut the roads himself. David Livingston was a pioneer missionary to Africa. He walked over 29,000 miles in his ministry. His wife died early in that ministry, and he he faced opposition from his Scottish brethren. In his diary, he wrote these words, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. God was David's defense. David wasn't in a very defensible position at the time. If you read the account of it, you'll find that had Absalom listened to the good counsel of Ahithophel, they would have wiped David out, but but God set that counsel uh, to naught. He wasn't in a great position of defense, but the Lord was his defender. Notice also the devotion there. He says, Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. The word glory here is the glory as the object of honor, reverence, and glorifying. God, you are my glory. David was literally on foot. He was running out of the palace. Everything that he owned, he had left behind His reputation was destroyed. His position was in peril. His very life was in jeopardy. But he said, Lord, you're my glory. Is the Lord enough to satisfy you? Would you be content if God was literally all you had left? Jeremiah 9 Verses 23 through 24 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, 
that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Is the Lord enough to keep you satisfied? And would you be content if he was all you had left? John Wesley, the preacher John Wesley, wrote in his journal about a visitation that he made. He visited a lady that was ill and in bed. And she was sick and in bed after having buried seven of her family in just six months. And she had just received word that her eighth family member, her husband, was lost at sea. John Wesley asked her, do you not fret at any of those things? And she said with a lovely smile on her face, oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides he has given me himself. I love, I praise him every moment. You're my glory. You're my glory. Is the Lord enough to satisfy you? If he was all you had left, would you still glory in the Lord? David's defense, his, devo his devotion. Notice David's disposition. He says, you're my glory and the lifter of my head. The lifter of my head. Psalm 27 verses 5 and 6 says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Lord, you're the lifter up of my head. You're the one that exalts. You're the one that, that abases. You're the one that can, in the spite of all the situations that I'm going through, you're the one that can lift my head. One of the best loved hymns of the faith, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by Horatio Spafford. Some of you may know the, the story, but Horatio Spafford, Spafford was a very wealthy businessman in Chicago. But he lost much of his real estate holdings in the great Chicago fire. After the fire, he sent his wife and their four daughters on a ship to Europe, intending to join them later. They were going for a time of rest, as well as assisting Moody and Sankey with the revival there in Great Britain. But the voyage was struck by disaster, and Spafford received a cable from his wife with the painful message that read just two words, saved alone. Spafford quickly made arrangements to join his wife, and when they had reached the spot where his daughters had drowned, he asked the ship to stop. And he took out his pen, and he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Those words written in the midst of such pain are reminders to us today that even though we might endure great suffering and hardship, it's not the end of God's plan for us. And sometimes we get discouraged because it appears like life is going better for those around us that aren't living for the Lord at all or have no desire for the Lord or the things of God. Yet their end 
is settled and sure. And those that fear the Lord will be able to say, it is well with my soul. You're the lifter of my head, even though my son, my own son, that David loved very much, was in rebellion against him. David's disposition, his devotion, his defense, and his deference. He said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I love it when the Bible says he heard me. <laughs> There's so many Psalms like that. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 4 verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Psalm 71, or 77 verse 1 says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. Think about all the times that God heard those that called upon him. God heard Noah in the ark. God heard Jonah in the belly of that great fish. God heard Joseph when he was in prison. And he heard Daniel in the lion's den. God heard Jeremiah when he was in the pit. God heard Samson when he was in the temple of the enemy. God heard Jesus on the cross, and God hears his children when they pray. I sought the Lord. I cried unto him. I prayed. He heard me, the Bible says, over and over and over. Spurgeon used the illustration of a mother to explain this concept. He says, when a mother had a sick child, isn't it marvelous how quick her ears become while attending that child? We wonder she doesn't fall asleep. If you hired a nurse, it is ten to one she would fall asleep. But the dear child in the middle of the night does not need cry for water or even speak. There's a little quick breathing, and who will hear it? No one except the mother. Her ears are quick, for they are in her child's heart. Even so, if there is a heart in the world that longs for the things of God, God's ear is already in that poor sinner's heart, and he will hear it. There is not a good desire on earth, but the Lord has heard it. God's quick to hear his children when they pray. And David cried out in deference to the Lord and in dependence on the Lord. Independence on the Lord. He says, I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. He was dependent on the Lord for rest for rest. Psalm 4 verse 8 says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. It's interesting. Those that were able to rest in the Lord, Jesus could sleep in the boat in the storm. Carest thou not that we perish? But he was fast asleep. Peter, we'll get to this eventually, could sleep in prison, believing he would be put to death. But he was sleeping so hard that the, the angel had to kick him to get him to get up. Slept in prison. And you too, as a child of God, can find rest in the midst of any storm. In the 1500s, 
A man by the name of Dr. Nicholas Ridley was sentenced to be burned at the stake in England because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother often offered to remain with him in the prison to comfort him. Dr. Ridley declined the offer saying, I intend, God willing, to go to bed and sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. He had the peace of God, and he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord who met his every need. You can face trials that are severe and troublesome and turbulent with the peace of God. Because during those times, we have the opportunities to keep our minds on Christ and depend upon his grace and his peace. David had rest in his dependence on the Lord. He also had resolve in his dependence on the Lord. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. This is not mere words either, because they were very literally considering gathering a band of about 10,000 to go wipe David out. And David said, I won't be afraid of an army of 10,000 men, because you are with me. He had a resolve. God was his defense and his shield. There were missionaries in China during the time that the Japanese invaded. They were named Dick and Margaret Hillis. They lived with their two children in the inland town of Sheku. I can't say it right. I apologize for that. But the whole village was tense with fear, and every day there were terrifying reports of the Japanese advance. At the worst possible time, Dick developed appendicitis, and he knew his life depended on the rickshaw journey to the hospital. On January 15, 1941, his wife watched him leave. Soon the Chinese colonel came with the news that the enemy was near and the townspeople must evacuate. Margaret shivered in fear, knowing that one-year-old Johnny and two-month-year-old Margaret Ann would never survive as refugees, so she stayed put. They had a wall calendar that had scripture every single day. And early the next morning, she tore the page from the calendar and read that day's scripture, Psalm 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid... I will trust in thee. During the day, the town emptied out, and the next morning when she got up, she felt alone and abandoned. And she tore the page from the calendar, and the verse was Psalm 9:10, which said, Thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. The next morning, she arose to the distant sounds of gunfire and worried about how she would feed her children. And she tore the page from the calendar and read Genesis 50, verse 21. I will nourish you and your little ones. An old woman suddenly came to the house with a pail of steaming goat's milk, and another straggler arrived with a basket of eggs. Throughout the day, the sounds of the fighting grew louder, and during the night, Margaret prayed to be delivered. And the next morning, when she tore the page from the calendar, she read Psalm 56, verse 9, When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. The battle was getting closer and closer, and she didn't go to bed that night because invasion seemed imminent. But the next morning, everything was quiet. And one by one, villagers became, uh, began returning back to their homes. And when the Chinese colonel knocked on her door, he told her that for some reason, the Japanese had withdrawn their troops. No one could understand it, but the danger had passed and they were safe. Though 10,000 of people 
encamp against me, I will not be afraid. He depended on the marvelous provision of the Lord in spite of multiplied problems. And then we see the mindful petitions he makes. Verses 7 and 8 says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. David prays for rescue. God, arise and save me. Psalm 7 verse 1 says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Isaiah verse 35, or verse 4 of chapter 35 says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. David prayed for rescue. Jesus said in his model prayer in Matthew 6, verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. David prayed and he prayed for rescue. Lord, help me. Save me. Intervene on my behalf. And then he had a time of remembrance in his prayer. He says, For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. He remembers how God sustained before. He's looking back in his life and looking back at all the many victories that God has wrought on his behalf. Lord, you've sustained me before. You've rescued me before. And he's resting in the goodness of the Lord. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. You can kind of tell this was not a recent guy. Was born in a log cabin in Kentucky in 1866. And he was educated at just a little country schoolhouse. He got saved at 27 years old and had no college or seminary background was ordained to the Methodist church at age 36. And he served for, as a Methodist pastor for a year until ill health made it impossible for him to continue. He moved to New Jersey and opened an insurance offer, uh, office there and suffered ill health for most of his adult life and had a low income because of it. Of this circumstance, he said, God has given me many wonderful displays of his provi providing care which have filled me with astonishing gratefulness. Even though he suffered sickness for most of his adult life, he lived to the ripe old age of 94 and wrote more than 1,200 poems. And one of those poems that he wrote in 1923 was, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
David recalled, Lord, you, you've sustained me before. I'm trusting you to do it again. Notice also, salvation bought. Salvation bought. He says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. God is and always has been the Savior. Isaiah verse 11 of chapter 43 says, I, even I, and the Lord, and beside me, there is no Savior. And this is something that David understood. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. In Acts 4 verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In Revelation 19 verse 1, It says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And Paul wrote in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God, you sustained me before and salvation belongs to you. And notice he prays about the supplied blessings of the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You know, I've heard those before that, talk about serving the Lord, and they they talk about it in such a way that they had to give up all these things in order to serve the Lord. And I can tell you, you know, ministry, it's not a cakewalk. It's not always easy. But God is so good. And I can't think of a, a better place to be in life than serving the Lord. When I think about all the blessings that he supplied just throughout my short time of life. An old Navajo Indian became rich when they found oil on his property and he took all the money and put it in a bank. And the banker became pretty accustomed to the habits of the old man. Every so often, the Indian would show up at the bank and say to the banker, Grass all gone, sheep all sick, water holes all dry. So the banker would open the vault, take the Indian in and show him several bags of civil dollars and say, all this is yours. The old man would spend about an hour there looking at the money and counting it. He'd put everything back where it was, come out of the, out of the vault and say to the banker, grass all green, sheep all well, water holes all full. It's amazing the change of attitude that comes over us when we just count our resources and blessings. And David says, Blessing, thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. God has been good. He's been faithful. He's a defense. And in spite of the entire world around us, in spite of the circumstances that we're in, in spite of the people that you're dealing with, God has never changed, and he is always the same. 
and you can trust in him. Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. Father, we thank you for your word. What a comfort it is. Oh God, that we would glory in you. Life is difficult, Father. There are so many difficulties. This room, and just in this room alone, are represented so many different trials and difficulties and circumstances. But God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the salvation that we have in him. We thank you that as we said, read in Jeremiah that we can glory in the fact that we know you and that you love us and care for us. Lord, help us this week as we go about our lives to focus our minds on you, to be grateful and thankful that you would lift up our heads. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.